You gotta understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless. so crazy about it's just music Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I play our favorite scary rock songs. We've dug deep in our collections to find the creepiest tracks ever, and we'll hear some of your picks as well. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. This is it. Here I stand. I'm the light of the world. I feel grand. This love I can feel. We are listening to a song called This Is It by Michael Jackson from the album called This Is It. That song is the only new tune, although it is in fact an 18-year-old demo recording of a song that Jackson co-wrote with Paul Anka, of all people. (laughs) The rest of the This Is It album is a greatest hits collection, and it is on its way to selling more than 300,000 copies in week one. We'll have the final number next week. So there's This Is It, the song, This Is It, the album, and This Is It, the movie, which is really what everybody's been waiting for, and you saw it, Greg. Is Jackson a living, breathing artist (laughs) in this movie or not? Well, he's very much alive in this movie. It was the only glimpse, perhaps, we're going to get of Jackson in his final days as he was about to begin this 50-night residency in London, the big comeback tour, uh, what he promised would be his final tour. He was working on it in earnest. I mean, if you watch this documentary, you see an artist still very much at the top of his game. He was very much involved in uh, micromanaging this performance, from the choice of the music to the to the choice of the theatrics and the backdrops to his dancing. I mean, we get a close-up look at this guy at work as a dancer, and it's remarkable to see him in, in this relatively intimate setting. You're not so much impressed with the visuals. I mean, they had these 3D films ready for a, a thriller sequence in the movie. There's one point in the uh, concert where he was supposed to do like a, he was going to be dropped into a Humphrey Bogart movie, and Bogart uh-huh. was going to start shooting a, a submachine gun at him. This doesn't really translate that well in the movie. What does translate is you're up close watching Jackson work, and you realize that he is very sharp, very detail-oriented, very much about taking the smallest gestures and turning him into dramatic theater. He's still a great dancer. So the questions about his ability to physically do this, I think, are, are somewhat put aside because what you see is Jackson was really working hard at this stuff. He's going through these rehearsals with his dancers, and he's leading the way. But, but you haven't mentioned his voice. It's interesting because you really don't know, is his voice, what kind of shape it's in? I mean, they could have certainly overdubbed things. Yeah. They could have used backing tracks. 
My sense of it is that the voice was okay. It wasn't spectacular. There are moments in the film where he does stop and say, hey, listen, you're, you're, you're hurting me here. I shouldn't be singing this much right now mm. before this, this tour starts. So there is a little bit of presaging of what was about to happen to him. But my sense of it was that he was still very much on top of his game. And this concert had the potential to be the comeback that he hoped it would be. In other words, put the focus back on his music rather than all, on all those scandals that had been troubling him for the last two decades. Well, I'm, I'm really surprised to hear your enthusiasm, uh, Greg, because uh, I was dubious that, that this would be of much worth because, you know, frankly, Jackson's last three studio albums were disappointing. You and I have discussed that. Mm-hmm. And his legacy has become so muddled with the personal scandals overshadowing the art. You're saying he was on the verge of really reclaiming his musical past and, and people should see this movie? To call it a documentary is overstating it because you're not really going to get a better feel for Michael Jackson as a person. But as an artist, this is a pretty intimate glimpse of what he does best. And you can see him transform. When he, when he goes from just sort of being this figure on this stage talking to people, it's one thing. But when he starts to dance and move and sing, he's transformed into this artist. And, and you kind of get a glimpse of why people cared about him in the first place. So yes, I think it's extraordinary in a lot of ways. It's kind of like perching on Dylan's shoulder in uh, Don't Look Back, you know, in the 60s. It, you know, that similar kind of uncharacteristic inside look at, at a great artist at the peak of his game. I think people should see it. A millionaire, I'm a young money millionaire, tougher than Nigerian hair. My criteria compared to your career just isn't fair. I'm a venereal disease, like a menstrual bleed through the pencil and leak on the sheet of the tablet in my mind. Cause I don't write, cause I ain't got time. Cause that is the Grammy winning track, A Millie, one of the top singles of 2008 by Lil Wayne. Just last week on the show, we played another of his number one smash hits from last year, Lollipop. This guy sold more records than anyone else last year, 2.8 million copies. And he's one of the dominant forces in hip-hop or American popular music today, both as a producer and a rapper. Now he's going to be a prisoner. In 2007, in the summer, his tour bus was stopped after he played a concert in Manhattan and police found a loaded handgun on the bus. Wayne tried to deny. Dwayne Carter tried to say, this wasn't my gun or somebody else on the bus. I didn't know. He was linked to it by DNA. He was facing uh, almost four years in jail. Instead, he took a plea agreement, and now he's going to be behind bars for one year. At the same time, when he is arguably the most important force on the pop charts today. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's a disturbing trend, too, Jim, because in in some ways, Lil Wayne's predecessor as the leading uh, hit maker in hip-hop, T.I., is also serving prison time. He's five months into his one-year sentence. He also was arrested on a 2000 felony weapons charge and and sentenced to prison. He's supposed to get out in March next year. Uh, Meanwhile, there was an interview put out with his wife saying that he's doing good, he's passing the time by working out and just doing the things they do inside. But his fame remains at a peak. He just recently won a BET award from prison, and he's still on the Billboard 200 pop charts. I wonder if there's ever been a public radio show done from inside. Maybe you and I would be a good career move. I was working in the lab late one night When my eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the match He did the monster match The monster match It was a graveyard smash He did the match 
It caught on in a flash. He did the mash. He did the monster mash. Ah, yes, it is one of the favorite times of year for me and Mr. Cot. We both love Halloween, but not necessarily the cartoony kind of Halloween. Bobby Boris Pickett and the Crypt Kicker 5, the uh, Monster Mash, great song, okay, but that is not truly blood-chilling, bone-curdling. We want to <laughs> dig deep into our collections and play some of the most frightening rock music ever, stuff that uh, really should be saved until after the trick-or-treaters, the kids are off the streets, and it's it's now time for serious adult Halloween. You don't necessarily want to play these songs uh, when the five-year-olds come around uh, looking for the candy. This is not cartoon-quality scares we're going for here. Jim, I, I can think of only two faces that we can have on, on the coin for our coin flip when we decide who goes first. I think Clive Davis belongs on one side. Who should we have on the other? Irving Azoff has got to be on the other. Those <laughs> are the two most frightening men in rock history. The coin is in the air, and... Clive Davis it is. Mr. Cott, you get to go first. Well, thank you. I can only think of one way to follow Clive Davis in terms of the scariness factor, and that is uh, to do a song about cannibalism. Uh, (laughs) You know, pop music is full of these songs exploring dire scenarios, uh, in some cases historic events, that were quite tragic. You know, I'm thinking of a song like the Bee Gees doing New York Mining Disaster 1941 or Gordon Lightfoot's The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Mm. People put in dire circumstances and and their uh, struggle memorialized in song. The song I'm going to play is a true one-hit wonder. In fact, it's amazing. This song actually climbed into the top 40 when it was released in 1971. And it is a song about cannibalism. Three guys go into a mine, two guys come out. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) What happens to the third guy, the titular character in this song, Timothy? Uh, It was by a group called The Boys from Western Pennsylvania. Interesting anecdote about this song. It was written by Rupert Holmes, the guy who wrote the Pina Colada song. Pina Colada? Oh, my God. (laughs) This was his break into the music industry. He was like a 20-year-old guy looking for a break. His scheme was, I'm going to write a song for this group that I kind of like from Western Pennsylvania, and I'm going to write a really heinous song so that it gets banned from the radio. So it's a catchy song. It's got lots of hooks in it. But at the same time, you listen to the words closely, you go, ew, is he talking about what I think he's talking about? Wow. It's the boys with a song called Timothy on Sound Opinions. Damn it. 
Wow. Timothy by the boys on Sound Opinions, Mr. Cott's first choice for a truly scary Halloween rock song. You're sick, Greg. <laughs> Cannibalism, where do you go from there, right? I'll tell you. what. You know, I have a problem when we do shows like this. Uh, I always come up instantly with a list of 50 songs, and I want to play them all. And even if I knocked you out and, and did the whole show myself, I wouldn't <laughs> get them all in. So I have to make it a little harder. In narrowing down my list of the scariest rock songs ever, I wanted to take songs that were great and scary on their own and then became even more horrifying when they were used in film soundtracks. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do movies and music. This is this is a uh, quadruple feature. You're gonna if you show <laughs> these four movies on Halloween night, yeah. you won't sleep for the rest of the year. <laughs> trust me. And my first pick is from one of my choices uh, of a director who has used rock music better in his films than anyone else in history. I'm talking about Jonathan Demme. Mm-hmm. I think he is a true genius in this. Think back, Silence of the Lambs. Great movie, right? right? Incredible movie. The first time you enter the uh, psychopathic killer's lair, the camera moves very, very slowly through that incredibly creepy basement, and and the bugs are flying, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's dark, and there's weird cobwebs and like weird human parts and stuff. You don't know what's going on, and it goes along the floor, and it goes up and over the well, and the victim, his next victim, is in the well, and his captive. There is a song playing. It is by Colin Newman of Wire mm-hmm. from. From his first solo album, A to Z, as they say in the UK, and it's a brilliant choice because it, it's really obscure, you know, English art punk band, the guy's solo album, but it's perfect because the only lyric that Demi uses is from the end of the song and chanted over and over in a mantra-like, creepy fashion is the line, retained your sense <laughs> of humor. Absolutely brilliant. This is Colin Newman's Alone on Sound Opinions. got goosebumps right now. <laughs> Colin Newman's Alone as heard on the soundtrack of The Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, context is king, right, Jim? Oh, that's, yeah. Uh, that's uh, pretty creepy stuff. Next, I want to play another uh, song that uh, exhibits a long-standing tradition in music of the 20th and now the 21st century. There is nothing more tragic, nothing more horrible 
than singing about the death of a child. Mm. Um, these these songs have been with us for centuries, obviously. If you pick up the Harry Smith uh, folk anthology, you will hear a number of songs in which these country soul singers, mountain soul singers, mourn the death of a child. You know, the, the big black snake bit my child yeah. and, and she died. You well, know. Of course, there's Ween's spinal meningitis got me down. Yeah, also. yeah. That's and, too creepy even for me. And then the ones where, where there's a, a little bit of mental illness involved, where a parent kills their own child. It gets even creepier mm. and scarier. P.J. Harvey. A student of music history, uh, understands this is a long-standing tradition in blues and country music, picked up on that thread in her song, Down by the Water. It is one of the great modern infanticide songs ever written. Polly, as she is wont to do, uh, would not discuss this song specifically with me when I've interviewed her (laughs) about this. She would not say exactly what this is about. She said, I leave it to your own imagination. But it's pretty clear what she's singing about. At the end, she quotes Lead Belly, and I think it's one of the creepiest parts of the song. There's a Lead Belly song called Salty Dog, in which she's talking about the little fish, big fish, swimming in the water, Mm. bringing my daughter back to me. And that's just about the creepiest part of the song. It's PJ Harvey, Down by the Water, on Sound Opinions. Down by the Water from P.J. Harvey on Sound Opinions. We're going to continue counting down our scariest songs in rock, and we're also going to hear some of your favorites. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner in crime is Greg <laughs> Cott, and we are doing our Halloween show, playing some of the scariest rock songs ever. I have further limited myself. It has to be a great scary rock song from a great scary movie. And this, of course, is the theme from The Exorcist, otherwise known as Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells. I will share with you, Greg Cott, because I know that you were a young Catholic altar boy, (laughs) as I was. I went, against my mother's wishes, to see The Exorcist at a now-condemned and torn-down theater in Jersey City, where, where, you know, there were, like, rats scurrying on the floor, literally, while we watched this movie. Wow, so you were about 10 when you saw this? I was 13. It came back a couple of years after it first came out and and the theater was as frightening as the movie and I did more damage the Catholic upbringing combined with <laughs> the exorcist I swore for two years I was going to be possessed and go to hell right <laughs> um Oldfield is a genius. You know, at a time when there were two-track recorders, he hit upon the idea of putting a few pieces of cardboard over the recording head and essentially created his own orchestral composition Mm -hmm. with tubular bells. And then for the film The Exorcist, a short section of of the intro of his piece was used and has been forever associated with that movie. It's a brilliant pairing of great music and, uh, and a great film, although I would encourage you need to own the entire original Tubular Bells album, 25 mm-hmm. minutes each side. It's just brilliant. I love Mike Oldfield. <laughs> I'm going to play, though, for my main pick next, a different soundtrack band, an Italian band called Goblin. They were progressive rockers in the early 70s, very much inspired by Genesis and King Crimson. They were one of many bands that weren't really rising above the pack until they formed a fortuitous relationship with the Italian film director Dario Argento. Now, true, sick movie fans know Argento as the master of the gore film. You know, these Saw movies, they (laughs) got nothing on the stuff that Dario Argento was doing with a little bit of ketchup in the 70s. His films are so thoroughly creepy and bloody and amazing and made all the more powerful by these Italian virtuosos in the band Goblin playing with synthesizers and pairing perfectly the mood of his films with the mood of their music. Goblin is probably best known because they also did the sound Track for George Romero's classic Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only time they really broached the American public where they were miscredited as the goblins. No, no, no. <laughs> they were goblin, singular. The best of the many Argento soundtracks, though, is for Suspiria, which is a horrible movie, horrifying movie, and it's horrible music. It's good in every way, every bad way. Here's Goblin on Sound Opinions.
Greg Cott is hiding Ooh. under the recording console <laughs> as we speak. That is the Italian band Goblin with the uh, main title theme from the 77 Dario Argento movie, Suspiria. Uh, I got it, Greg, on This is a Must Own. It's called Classic Italian Soundtracks, music composed and performed by Goblin. It's got all of their greatest hits. Ooh, my God. That's going to make me sleep with one eye open for the next few nights, uh, Jim. Thank you for that. <laughs> you and I are going to continue with uh, more of our picks, but uh, let's get our listeners involved. Uh, they've got their own picks for some of the scariest songs of all time. Let's have Charlotte from Chicago join the discussion. Charlotte, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. So scary songs is the topic today. You get, have you got one for us? I do. Uh, it is Eve White, Eve Black by Susie and the Banshees. Ah, good choice. Susie and the Banshees are, are a go-to choice for, for scary songs, I think, in general. But why this one in particular? Well, I agree. Uh, you know, you want the, the scary thing. They do it well, and they do it often. But um, I think that's a particularly good one because uh, the instrumentation is pretty creepy. And one thing I like about it is that it's not your typical dealing with the supernatural. It's not about ghosts and ghouls or anything like that. It's it's about someone with split personality. Mm-hmm. So it's that internal scariness, the scariness of losing your grip on reality and losing your mind. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock could relate, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting weaker Man, a few bars in, I'm I'm already creeped out. The immortal, possibly undead Susie Sue. All these kids wandering around today thinking, like, Twilight is good and creepy, you know? It's like, man, they need to hear Susie. (laughs) Now, Charlotte, you got to fess up. Is there a little goth in your past? A little bit. Uh, An unrepentant Susie fan. I know that it was very uh, out of fashion for a while, but I never denied my, my love of Susie. And, and nor should you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Charlotte, for being our guest on Sound Opinions. Oh, thank you. We've got Chris from Evanston on the line. Chris, welcome to Sound Opinions. Hi, thanks for having me. Have you got a scary song for Halloween for us? Uh, yes, I do. I believe so. It's uh, Misery's the River of the World by Tom Waits. He's scary. I find Wade scary in general. <laughs> but why do you? Uh, why this song in particular? I don't know. I'd have to say first off, kind of that uh, that clarinet uh, marimba combo in the beginning, to me, is just extremely, uh, extremely kind of just nerve wracking and just you know, I find it very uh, scary. I think the other reason would be also the drums in the background. I mean, it sounds like he hired the drummers from uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom or something. It's just unreal, <laughs> you know. I think that plus also the growl that he has. I mean, he's always got a, a pretty good growl going, but in this one it just seems like he takes it to, a, to another level. All that the monkey can climb No more he shows his tail Call no man happy till he dies There's no milk at the bottom Of the good in the world you can put inside a thimble and still have 
pretty frightening. <laughs> Any song by Tom Waits could be interpreted as somewhat frightening. I mean, if you listen to it without maybe paying attention to the lyrics, you go, man, that, that, that's a scary sounding yeah, but, dude. But Chris is on to something with the marimba. Because yeah. if you think back to all those Raymond Scott soundtracks for yeah. the Warner Brothers cartoons, inevitably when there's a skeleton, you have the marimba. Because <laughs> right. like the bones are just, you know what I'm saying, that's Chris? True. Yeah, that's true. And uh, the combination of the marimba and the clarinet, uh, there's a combination you don't often say when you're talking about a rock song. <laughs> So, pretty cool choice there, Chris. Uh, thanks for being our guest on Sound Opinions. Yeah, sure, appreciate it. There's no milk at the bottom of the pail. God tempers all the winds for the new shorelands. The devil knows the Bible like the back of his eye. Okay, Jim, I got another one for you, another scary song. And uh, I'm going to take this one from the much maligned genre of gangster rap. I think a lot of people view this area of hip-hop as a money-making venture that has been corrupted. But when it was originally emerging out of the West Coast in the late 80s, early 90s, I think it had a lot to say about what was going on in urban America. And uh, one of the best uh, purveyors of that particular sound were the Ghetto Boys, actually out of Houston. There's a song called Mind Plane Tricks on Me, in which the three principal MCs in the group, Scarface, Willie D, and Bushwick Bill, all trade verses. And what they talk about is everyday life in the East Ward of Houston, uh, one of the toughest ghettos in the country. And they talk about these everyday scenarios where even the smallest gesture, even the most commonplace gesture is perceived as a threat. Mm. And it creates this atmosphere of paranoia so that everything you do is done in an atmosphere of fear. The whole notion of the male in the ghetto is to be hard and to always be hard and to be ready for everything, but to maintain that posture day after day ends up creating a sort of atmosphere of mental illness where you start seeing things and hallucinating. And that's what this song is about. I think it's a really poignant tale about what it's like to live under these conditions and at the same time really, really scary. So here's a bit of Mind Playing Tricks on Me from the Ghetto Boys, their 1991 track on Sound Opinions. I sit alone in my four-cornered room staring at candles. Who got me? We on the radio, radio dude? Yeah. Oh, all right. The teacher's here. At night I can't sleep. I toss and turn. Candle sticks in the dark. Visions of bodies being burned. Four walls closing in, getting bigger. I'm paranoid sleeping with my finger on the trigger. My mother's always stressing I ain't living right. But I ain't going out without a fight See, every time my eyes close I start sweating And blood starts coming out my nose It's somebody watching the act But I don't know who it is So I'm watching my back I can see them when I'm deep in the covers When I awake, I hear a car burning rubber He owns a black hat like I own A black suit and a cane like my own Some might say, take a chill, V But I can't, G Cause there's somebody trying to kill me I'm popping in the clip when the wind blows Every 20 seconds got me peeping out my window Investigating the joint for traps Checking my telephone for taps I'm staring at the woman on the corner It's messed up when your mind is playing tricks on you
I make big money. I drive big cars. Everybody know me. It's like I'm a movie star, but late at night, something ain't right. I feel I'm being tailed by the same sucker's headlights. Is it that move that I ran off the block? Or is it that clown last week that I shot? Or is it the one I beat for $5,000? Thought he had came, but it was gold, metal flower. Reached under my seat, grab my papa for the suckers. Ain't no use to me lying. I was scared of than a monster. Put the left in the Popeyes and bell dot quick. If it's going down, let's get it over with. Here they come, just like I figured. I got my hand on a chrome-plated trigger. When I saw, I'll make you start giggling. Three blind, crippling, crazy senior sinners. I live by the sword. I take my boys everywhere I go, become a paranoid. I keep looking over my shoulder and peeping around corners. My mind is playing tricks on me. Mind playing tricks on me by the Ghetto Boys, a scary pick indeed, Mr. Cott. If you want to share your favorite scary rock songs with us or comment on anything we've talked about on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800, or email interact at soundopinions.org. We'll be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with our final songs for Halloween. get it over with. And then I'm worry-free, but that's nonsense. I got a little boy to look after. And if I die, then my child will be a bastard. I had a woman down with me. But to me, it seems like she was down to get me. She helped me out in this. But to me, she was just another chick. Now she's back with her mother. Now I'm realizing that I love her. Now I'm feeling lonely. My mind is playing tricks on me. This year, Halloween fell on the weekend. Me and Ghetto Boys are trick-or-treating. Robbing little kids for bags. Till little man got behind our rags. So we speeded up the pace. Took a look back, and he was right before our face. We were in for a squab, no doubt. So I swung and tried to take him out. He was going down, we planned. But this wasn't no ordinary... Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And that is Gnarls Barkley with the Boogie Monster. Hmm. Monster under my bed. 
Why? Because we are doing the scariest rock songs of all time in honor of Halloween. Although, really, Greg, you, you and I could each play DJ for six or seven hours. That's for true. This. And I'm going to come over to your house and do that because I know <laughs> the cots do Halloween up in a big way. We do. If you're driving around Chicago and you see this <laughs> rock and roll graveyard of the dead in front of a house, that's Greg's house. All right. Before we get into the rest of our picks, we want to hear one more from a listener. We got Donna from Wheeling on the phone. Hey, Donna, welcome to Sound Opinions. Thank you very much. So, uh, Halloween, scary songs. We want something really frightening. What do you got for us? Okay, The Cramps, Human Fly. Yes! Oh, yeah. Can't go wrong with that. I love that choice. <laughs> Gotta love The Cramps. All right, we, we all, we're, we're with you 100% here, Donna, but okay. tell us why you love this song. Why? Because The Cramps are everything that's fun about Halloween. They look back to um, 50s movies, the 50s scaries kind of uh, shtick, and The Cramps have that look. <laughs> and the enthusiasm at the live shows. It, it seems like they never got tired of doing those songs. Well, they never got tired of it. And then if Lux, once Lux got done with the song, he usually swallowed the microphone. So that was that was the scariest part of all. Exactly. It, it was, was also scary being in the crowd because you never knew what was going to fly off the stage and hit <laughs> you in the audience. That's right. Or he would fly off the sta- stage. I once saw him do a dive. Exactly. Let's hear a little of uh, Human Fly. Okay. When I'm a human fly, I spend it in a while. I say, brother, brother, and it's just because I'm a human fly, and I don't know why. I got 96 tears, 96 eyes. I got a garbage brain that's driving me insane. And I don't like a ride, so push that best aside. And baby, I won't care, cause baby, I don't scare, cause I'm a that just brings back so many cool memories. I mean, with names, what was it? Ivy Rorschach, right? On treble tone guitar, mm-hmm. Lux interior. Wasn't Nick Knox the drummer? Yeah. They, they shouldn't be in a Halloween movie. <laughs> well, that's the perfect song choice, uh, too, because, Greg, when we uh, when we memorialized Lux Interior, when he died not all that long ago, that was the song we played. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that's sort of the, that's the, uh, that's the first stop you got to go if you're talking about the cramps, I think. Absolutely. So you're going to be cranking this uh, for the Halloweeners when they come by your house? Uh, I definitely am. I definitely am. And it's great because now with YouTube, you can watch uh, old videos and things like that. So I'll probably have that on in the background. (laughs) Excellent. Thanks for coming on the show, Donna. Thanks so much. It was fun. All right, Greg, let's get back to our picks, finish our countdown for Halloween. You made an inspired choice with the Ghetto Boys in the last segment. I'm going to do an even more frightening, I think, hip-hop pick because it's less obvious. I mean, the Ghetto Boys, you know, there was an element of hype when they came out. They were trying to be the scariest hip-hop crew ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wu-Tang Clan was not. Wu-Tang Clan was shrouding themselves in mystery and enigma on Staten Island, but fascinated with Japanese culture and in particular the lore of the samurai. Now, I am making things more complicated for myself because I'm not just doing great songs. I'm doing great songs that became part of great horror movies and were all the better for it. So it has to be a great movie, has to be a great song. I'm going to play something from 
Ghost Dog. Now, Ghost Dog was that 1999 film by Jim Jarmusch, starring Forrest Whitaker as an assassin, a horrifying guy who killed without remorse, yet lived with the code of the samurai, had a certain moral ethic, albeit a twisted one. It was the perfect setting for the Wu-Tang Clan, and in particular, Rizza to show his talents as a producer and a rapper. The merger of music and mood and visuals is just perfect throughout that film. I don't know if you've ever seen it yet. Mm-hmm. You ever seen it? Yeah. Oh my God, what a great movie. Not a horror movie, but a nihilistic message at mm. the core of it that the more you think about it, because there aren't monsters jumping out, these are real people just living with a perverse way of viewing the world in which life doesn't matter at all. That makes it all the more frightening for me. And one of the centerpieces musically for me is this song, Samurai Showdown, Raise Your Swords, which uh, really shows the RZA at his best. Here it is, Wu-Tang Clan from the Ghost Dog soundtrack on Sound Opinions. Samurai Showdown. Samurai Showdown. Yeah. Hey, DTN, yeah. how dare you challenge me? You will die from the tip of my score today. <laughs> You're too anxious. You must be young. It's born, born, young lord, raise your swords. 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 Golden claw talent twirling one swirl of the fatal swore split your island. Root killer bees stinkers back on the swarm again. The alarm again. Six direction, weapon deflecting, blows connect like opposite sides of magnets. Still fragments being chipped off with slingers force last. With the force of being grasped in your dashboard. With no airbag, you drove a 99 Jaguar. Quick to pick a lot, lick a shot. Respect the bloods and crimps a lot. Plus the guard from Watt sagging in the seat. Blasting move beats. Trying to plot his next hit. He took a drag off the eight elements that composed atmospheric gas. About to let off his sword in full blast. Kept his mind focused, meditate in position half lotus. Avid sport novas couldn't match his magnum opus. Deluxe stroke. Sun move like a ghost. Struck in an instance, unnoticed like a lamppost. Radar shot precision, gunfire. Explode to his clips unload. It's the samurai cold. It's born, born, young lord, raise your sword. It's born, born, young lord, raise your swords. 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 Time for everyone to go record. It's born, born, young lord, raise your sword. Time for everybody to go accord. Crept in silent and still win. Chrome silencer screwed on tight. Kept the gunshots to seal then. We attacked four fledged. With Chicago door red, bandanas tied tight around our heads. Swing with the force of a sledge. Single wedge, stainless steel blade, chopped the wedge to this analog derelict's head. We even thought that he could go against the truth and the gods and fall back from the will of Allah. You'll be facing the firing squad of a thousand archers out the marker. The milk top scully king box bullets like jelly beans. Birds in my nest resting up on the telly scene. Murderous rap track to me is legal felony. Can't accept what you analog cast be telling me. I get the verbal weapon, won't have the tape for one second to break your back like Big Jack from Tekken. It's born, born, young lord, so raise your swords. It's born, born, young lord, raise your swords. It's born, born, young lord, raise your swords. Man, oh man, Samurai Showdown, Raise Your Swords by the RZA and the rest of the Wu-Tang Clan from Ghost Dog. Mr. Cott, you got another frightening pick? 
I do, Jim. I think uh, there's no more frightening genre of uh, songwriting than uh, the voice from the grave coming back to haunt the living. Yeah, yeah. You think about that classic country song, Long Black Veil, or even something like Neil Young's Powderfinger, where where a dead man is talking to you, essentially. In that tradition, Tori Amos' interpretation of an Eminem song. Now, remember when Eminem hit the scene in the late 90s, his debut album caused all sorts of scandal and sold bazillions of copies. Yeah, as he fantasized killing his wife and hurting his mother. Exactly. And uh, the song 97, Bonnie and Clyde, was one of his biggest hits from that record. In that particular song, it details the, the butchery of his wife, throwing her in the trunk and then driving her to the dock to throw her body into the lake, all the while his daughter sitting in the seat beside him. Mm. So he's placating his daughter while the daughter's mother is in the trunk and he's having this conversation. Well, without changing a word of the narrative, Tori Amos takes the song from the perspective of the mom in the trunk, and she's overhearing this conversation. Basically, the, her, her husband turning her daughter into the accomplice in her own murder. A really scary and chilling perspective on that particular song. Tori Amos covered it in 2001 on an album called Strange Little Girls. It's her version of Eminem's 97 Bonnie and Clyde on Sound Opinions. Baby, your dada loves you. And I'm always going to be here for you, no matter what happens. You're all I got in this world. I'd never give you up for nothing. Nobody in this world is ever going to keep you from me. I love you. Come on, hey, we're going to the beach. Grab a couple of toys and let Dada strap you in the car seat. Where's Mama? She's taking a little nap in the trunk. Oh, that smell. Dada must have runned over a skunk. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's kind of late to go swimming, but you know your mama. She's one of those type of women that do crazy things. And if she don't get her way, she'll throw fit. Don't play with Dada's toy knife, honey. Let go of it. And don't look so upset. Why you acting bashful? Don't you want to help Dada build a sandcastle? And Mama said she wants to show you how far she can float. Don't worry about that little boo-boo on her throat. It's just a little scratch. It don't hurt. Her was eating dinner while you were sleeping. Spilled ketchup on her shirt. Mama's messy, and she? We'll let her wash off in the water. Me and you can play by ourselves, can't we?
But for now, we'll just say Mama was real, real bad. She was being mean to Dad and made him real, real mad. But I still feel sad that I put her on timeout. Sit back in your chair, honey, quit trying to climb out. I told you it's okay, eh? Ninety-seven Bonnie and Clyde Eminem song as done by Tori Amos. Uh, You're a sick man, Mr. Oof, God. People that, think I'm twisted. That but gives you know, me the you, chills. You outdo me sometimes. I'll lift things up slightly for <laughs> my final Halloween pick. Okay, David Lynch, of course, is is one of the most visionary film directors in American history. I mean, nobody sees the world as oddly as Lynch, and everybody talks about you know Twin Peaks and that creation. Blue Velvet, though, to me, is his masterpiece. <laughs> 1985, that movie creates such a sinister world, and it looks almost normal. <laughs> and it's only when you dive in a little deeper, uh, like that opening sequence where the camera goes like into the anthill, mm-hmm. right, that just under the surface is where things get ugly. The perfect merger of music and mood in that film is uh, with Julie Cruz. Originally, David Lynch wanted to uh, use a song for a key scene, This Mortal Coil, the industrial dance band's version of Song to the Siren by Tim Buckley, mm-hmm. but it was uh, way too expensive for him to get the rights to. So he turned to the guy who was doing his music, the great composer Angelo Badalamenti, and said, can you write something in that style? And, and, and I want the voice of an angel to sing the song. Badalamenti had done some theater in New York with Julie Cruz, who really does have one of the most ethereal voices in pop history. Mm-hmm. You know, everything she sings sounds as if it's a breath, either exhaling or inhaling. And she sang this song, Mysteries of Love. Lynch wrote some of the lyrics. Battlementi wrote the music. She delivered it. You know, she would go on to have a big hit with uh, some of the songs that were included in Twin Peaks. But to me, this is the perfect collaboration. It's called Mysteries of Love. It doesn't talk about murder, but it's it's something ain't right. You know, just (laughs) something is a little off. Sometimes a wind blows and the mysteries of love come clear. I don't want to think too much about it. Just like Blue Velvet, I just want to experience it. Here it is on Sound Opinions.
Oh, boy. Mysteries mm. of Love. Julie Cruz, David Lynch, Angelo Badalamenti. Wrapping up our Halloween picks for this year on Sound of Binge. This may have to be an annual tradition, don't you think? Uh, I think so. <laughs> what do we have on the show next week, Mr. Cod? Next week, Jim, we are going to have a live performance and an interview with Grizzly Bear, one of the top rising bands of 2009. Sounds good, Mr. Cod. I'm looking forward to that one. As always, Sound Opinions this week was produced by our spunky and spectacular team <laughs> of Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. And our executive producer, our fearless leader, was Tori Southside Malatia, a man who, as coincidence would have it, and this is fact, just like Bob Dylan, was born in Duluth and moved to Hibbing at age six. <laughs> Can you help me? Help me if you please. Give me the right area code and the number that I need. My right or left up on the midnight flyer, singing like a summer breeze. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hello, this is Bruce Collin from Lakeville, Minnesota, and I'd like to thank you for your interview with Phoenix the other day. I thought that, that their last record, Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, was about the best album of last year and just listenable on so many levels. And after years of listening to really bad French pop music, I think they're just a completely refreshing new twist on popular music. I guess the one thing I would have liked to see them mention was a little bit about their drummer who recreates these sort of funky, syncopated samples that they have in the studio. I used to go into Greenwich Village. You said it was dangerous. I 
My parents let me do it all the time from New Jersey. I would go in every weekend and hang out. I saw the Fugs many, many times. They used to play in their dirty underwear. That's all they wore. And they had uh, plastic baby dolls that they would throw around the stage, which at that point was very outrageous at the time. And there you have a Desert Island disc with the Fugs. So sometimes I get angry at the show, and then other times, like yesterday, I absolutely love the show. So take it easy, guys. Bye. It's all right. Come on up. It's all right. Come on up. We got baskets. A basket of love. Come up, baby. Come up on us now. Standing here with trembling and singing. Coaxing you with pretty words. It's all right. Hey, Jim and Greg. This is Andy from Raleigh, North Carolina. I want to thank you for giving some love to one of my favorite bands, The Fugs, with your Island Jukebox pick. I first heard their album, It Crawled Into My Hand, Honest, when I was 10 years old back in 69. And I still own that original album that I listened to. My friends, they all thought the music was too weird, but I loved it. I still love it. So thanks for the tune. It's all right. Come on. No more messages. To give us your opinion on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.